1: And welcome back to Close Reads here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern, and I am joined, as always, on Close Reads by Angelina Stanford, who thinks this book is boring all of a sudden, and Tim McIntosh, tell <laughs> thinks it's exciting.
2: Uh... Oh, while you were introducing us, I was thinking, there's like a weird funhouse mirror effect going on, and Tim and I are on the other side of the funhouse mirror, and we just cannot see the same reflection ever at any given moment. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Whatever (laughs) I see is like, yeah, it becomes warped for Angelina and vice versa.
2: I like the way that you phrased that, that you're the one with the proper perspective and I'm warped. So I have
0: the the (laughs) true enlightenment perspective I see according to science, facts.
2: Then you are the target audience of
1: this. Exactly. (laughs) You are
2: exactly who Ian Forrest is grabbing by the lapels.
1: If you are, for some reason, new to this show, then, well, this is a weird episode to start with, but if you are new to the the show, then you know that we... well, then you are discovering that we are here to talk about books, uh, all kinds of books, all things about books, and that uh, Tim and Angelina are here to represent two opposing viewpoints. Tim, in particular, is representing, as always, the the, wrong anti-
2: sign.
0: the anti-romantic. Uh, <laughs> the cold, anti-romantic enlightenment
1: viewpoint.
2: <laughs> the com- we'll call it the comrade viewpoint, as a reference yeah, to okay. last week's reading. The comrade viewpoint.
1: <laughs> Let me start calling Tim comrade. We are here to talk about uh, Howard's End chapters 26 through 30, because as we learned with Angelina this week, 26 through 30 gives us five chapters Um, yeah
2: let me just go ahead and just call myself out on that uh you know david informed me that i I read too many chapters last week and i just in my defense he divided this book up into chapters of five and apparently counting by five is way too difficult for me and and i'm just gonna go ahead i'm just gonna blame my public school education we did not have counting songs and clearly (laughs) clearly I need someone to teach me that right now. I even use my fingers, David, and I still got off
1: the chapter. <laughs> so you read through thirty. Did you read like twenty through twenty-six or something, or twenty? You read twenty-one through twenty-six, so I assume you read, I read 26, through twenty-six minus twenty-one week. is five. And so
2: then I added five chapters to that this week, and that's why I told you we were reading through chapter thirty-one, and you said no, we're not, and I was like, he can't count by fives. What is happening? <laughs>
1: Well, that may be true, but we are here to talk about chapters twenty-six through thirty, which Angelina in, in which Angelina said absolutely nothing happened. But before we get to Angelina's defense of that preposterous opinion, uh, I just need to say a quick word from our friends over at the Honors Honors College at Belmont Abbey. Uh, if you are interested in finding an ideal college for your student, or you are a student who is looking for a group of morally and intellectually serious young men and women seeking wisdom then check out the great books curriculum at the Honors College at Belmont Abbey. They have a number of flexible options, um, which allows you to take any major offer to Belmont Abbey while exploring the greatest works by the most brilliant philosophers, poets, theologians, and historians in the Western tradition. Their distinctive approach affords you the opportunity to participate in the highest form of friendship, a shared life dedicated to the pursuit of wisdom. If you head over to www.bac.edu/slash honors, you can find more information. And again, that's www.bac, like Belmont Abbey College,.edu/slash honors. A life well lived awaits you.
2: You know, I'm not, I'm not paid to plug this college. Uh, if they would like me to, I can, I can invoice them. If they want to discount my son's tuition, I'm all about that. So just keep that in mind, Belmont Abbey. I'm giving you a lot of free shout-outs right now. But <laughs> this ad has left out, like, the single coolest thing that I think about this school. I mean, not that I'm not pro-education by any means. but <laughs> Oh, the football I mean, I team, do- huh? I do like the curriculum. I do like the stuff my son's reading. I like his friends very, very much. I I like all of that. But they left out the coolest thing, which is that Belmont Abbey is not just a name. It is an actual working abbey. It's a monastery. The school is on a monastery. And Hmm. I'm a big medieval person. And in the Middle Ages, monasteries had schools. I mean, and cathedrals had schools. This was the whole basis of education is that it came out of the church. And so when I go to campus and I'm just walking around seeing monks and monks are teaching the classes and the monks are just walking around and they help you bring your luggage in on move-in day I mean it's just it's just awesome it makes me feel so happy that the monks are like having services all day long all the time the whole school is you know liturgical and in its orientation so that's my spiel about that I just love it and also in the bookstore they have all these coffee cups and t-shirts and bumper stickers that say got monks
1: so if you dislike monks this may be (laughs) this is not the school
2: for you but if you want to pretend it's the middle ages and that you know you send your kids off to college with the monks oh my gosh it's the best thing i just love it it just makes me happy every time
1: tim you just went off mute so i assume you have something you want to say no
0: i just wanted to breathe loudly into the microphone he
2: wanted to say he's against monks like he's just taking the opposite of every position i take tim do you also hate god like is this (laughs) go ahead get some things off your chest
1: okay well let's get into this let's get into this debate (laughs) then because it was so before we started before we started like well i guess we were recording technically but before we got to the point where we started the show um we were talking about that's
2: right our our crazy banter is going on 24 hours a day not just on this show as you might think
1: (laughs) and i said something about i don't remember what i said that prompted it but then uh you said
2: you hadn't finished reading and i said don't worry nothing happened um, anyway and tim gasped and said what are you talking i was like no nothing happened
1: (laughs) yeah so so i said something like i had not finished chapter 30 yet and you said it's okay nothing happened in a very tim voice and then tim gasped like angelina normally does and everything is now spinning i'm very confused and um tim maybe you should host the show and i'll be you this time (laughs) okay let's i'll do that it really was very
2: was like what are you talking about i was like well you know there was plot stuff that happened but nothing interesting inside margaret's head happened like so in my mind nothing happened
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you know okay so talk about this why do you think nothing happened because yeah plot stuff happened i think it's i think it's funny that you said nothing happened given that but um
2: okay so it probably is the most action-packed section of this entire book but i was just like gosh can we just get rid of all these people and their conflicts and get back to Margaret's beautiful thoughts, please. <laughs> this I felt like the whole thing was just like you know intermission.
1: So, is all the now st- get
2: these actors off the stage, and let's get back to the thoughts,
1: Tim? When you think, when you say that you feel like things are happening, are you thinking mainly plot, or or do you, do you agree that it's there's less of what's going on in Margaret's head here?
0: Yeah, I think I agree. There's less happening in Margaret's head. Um, I'm wondering what's happening in Margaret's head because things in her world have, are moving and shaking not for the good necessarily but yeah like action it's happening on the stage with
1: characters i love it so so you know it's <laughs> i like so there's you,
2: four chapters in this book that we could theatrically set yeah yeah <laughs>
1: they, did maybe. Make, they did make a movie and then a six episode miniseries out of it so they figured something <laughs> out but um it's a lot of
2: staring into the moonlight <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's interesting that you say tim that um there is there is less um going on but there you know things are happening so fast around her and i feel like probably forrester's doing that on purpose right like if things are happening so fast most of the book is you will have these large jumps right yeah. where she has had time to process and to think. And so we're then getting the result of all that time.
0: In Like her. the death of Miss Wilcox. We just mm-hmm. kind of catch up with right, Margaret yeah. you know, long oh, yeah. after her death.
1: Or that somehow over time, she and Mr. Wilcox have found this affection. There's been time that's occurred mm-hmm. off stage. But here things are happening on stage for the first time and they're happening very quickly. And so it would make sense that her ability to process is not going to be as eloquent or as long right she's not going to mm-hmm. right. um, be able to process things oh she, she had the no rug pulled
2: out from under her she didn't even have a category for this and she's grasping for a category for it
1: and just to summarize what is this that that we're talking about here
2: well they're saying he had a mistress um that was the word they used before we found out that it actually was point of fact a mistress because he was married at the time
1: yeah so 10, ten years earlier um
2: he was with leonard bast's wife
1: right and of course they all was down on her
0: we're presuming that he was not that she was not then married to leonard on our timeline
1: right that was a few years before they got married it's
2: before he met her i believe
1: yeah because leonard's too young for that i think right so she was in her i think she was in her 20s okay which as we know makes it okay um (laughs) So there's this interesting line at the beginning of twenty six, though, um, that I think is a preview for a lot of this. It does it, it the, the the well. You know what, Angelina? Why don't you read the first paragraph
2: of twenty six?
1: Twenty six. Yeah.
2: Next morning, a fine mist covered the peninsula. The weather promised well, and the outline of the castle mound grew clearer each moment that Margaret watched it. Presently, she saw the keep and the sun painted the rubble gold and charged the white sky with blue. The shadow of the house gathered itself together and fell over the garden. A cat looked up at her window and mewed. Lastly, the river appeared, still holding the mists between its banks and its overhanging alders, and only visible as far as a hill, which cut off its upper reaches.
1: Um, you know what? Read the, read, the rest, read the next paragraph as well.
2: Margaret was fascinated by Oniton. She had said that she loved it, but it was rather its romantic tension that held her. The rounded druids of whom she had caught glimpses in her drive, the rivers hurrying down from them to England, the carelessly modelled masses of the lower hills thrilled her with poetry. The house was insignificant, but the prospect from it would be an eternal joy, and she thought of all the friends she would have to stop in it, and of the conversion of Henry himself to a rural life. Society, too, promised favorably. The rector of the parish had dined with them last night, and she found that he was a friend of her father's and so knew what to find in her. She liked him. He would introduce her to the town, while on her other side, Sir James Bider sat, repeating that she only had to give the word and he would whip up the country families for 20 miles round, county families. Whether Sir James, who was garden seeds, had promised what he could perform, she doubted. But so long as Henry mistook them for county families when they did call, she was content.
1: Angelina, did you mark any of this paragraph?
2: Oh yeah! How did you know, David?
1: Well, why, could you, Why? Why would you have marked some of this paragraph?
2: Because it's so romantic.
1: I love everything that. everything about
2: it is romantic, and that's why books ends with at the end of thirty with mm-hmm. her driving away, and she said she never saw it again. But as she's driving away, she's still having all these same like romantic fancies. But you know, mm-hmm. but but Forrester's again, he deflates us. Psst, psst, this isn't gonna happen. You know he's doing that number again.
1: Um, I love that line. She had said that she loved it, but it was rather as romantic tension that held her.
2: Yes, and I understand stuff about that.
1: the dru- the druids. I mean, when we hear start hearing seeing the word romantic actually put right into the book, that's I'm pretty sure it's like it's like the old thing they teach you when you're studying the Bible. Like anybody that went to Bible college will remember them saying, "What's the there for there <laughs> Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. if there's a therefore market if the word romantic shows up in howard's end it's probably worth noting. right market
2: also mystical uses that word a lot
1: yep and so it but so we get romantic but we also get this introduction of romantic tension so like that's a little bit of a preview of what we're going to start getting here because there had been the tension that she and wilcox had had before was a very different sort than the sort of tension that's about to that's about to rise up would you agree with that
2: yeah, I guess so. I was thinking primarily in this category about how much she. I mean, it's it's a it's a paragraph about connecting, right? Going back to our only connect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, idea. She's she's with her imagination connecting with everything in this place, right? That is Henry. So these people and this landscape and this house, and she's trying so hard to connect, and so she keeps trying things on in her imagination to connect. And Henry would, of course, he would not think about this place that he has been to so many times in that way at all about where he fits in with regard to other people and what this life would be like that's not the way he thinks so yeah Mm -hmm. that's what struck me about this paragraph is how much she just is always thinking in terms of how to connect to everything Mm -hmm. where will she fit in what will this life be like what will her role be like
1: and then of course you get the wedding where she basically is saying this is all nonsense Mm -hmm. because She could not feel that a wedding was so funny. Perhaps something was missing in her equipment. (laughs) That's a good line.
2: Yes. Henry treated a marriage like a funeral, item by item, never raising his eyes to the whole. And that right there speaks to exactly what we've been talking about, about the enlightenment versus the romantic view, because the enlightenment is the parts. You Mm can talk about the parts and the whole. It's all about the parts, analyzing the parts, breaking things into its parts. And the romantic wants the whole, wants to see the unity in things and how things connect. So again, you have this Margaret Henry tension that he's thinking every about everything item by item, which I guess so, is a very business way to think about things too, right?
1: So, Tim, is Forrester? He's setting up this relationship between characters that ostensibly represent these two sort of viewpoints. Uh, if Margaret is representative of the romantics we'll just we're just going to go with that for the sake of conversation it's an oversimplification let's just say it and wilcox is representative of the post-enlightenment man um what is wilcox i mean what is forrester do you think trying to say by putting them into this relationship together and then and then by inserting this sort of conflict between them and then what do you think he's also trying to say about the way that they respond to to this conflict and the way they respond to each other
0: you know david i wonder for me i think that the conflict that he's setting up strangely enough is between mr wilcox and helen i think of helen is sort of the um more the arch romantic and i feel like margaret is a little bit of she's kind of the synthesizer she's married to this man of business and she's grateful for what he and his kind do in the world i don't think that helen has any proclivities to understanding why you know like maybe she would begrudgingly respect people like mr wilcox but her reaction in the late in the section that we read her reaction is just um to Mr. Wilcox's affair,
1: Who's she's Margaret's so
0: bewildered. Helen's? Uh, Helens, 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 Helens. I think that Margaret has, I don't know exactly what's going on with Margaret. I don't think that Forrester has told us yet, but it seems like Margaret's going to be able to deal with it in some fashion. I, I, I'm kind of afraid that Helen is just going to lose it. She's just going to lose it. So anyway, I, I kind of see, yes, Margaret has this rich interior life, but I think part of that rich interior life is in some way not becoming like an enlightenment chap, but at least acknowledging that, um, there must be some sort of, like the world needs both of these types.
1: Hmm. Uh, it's interesting that you use the word synthesis. Do you agree with that, Angelina, that Margaret's a synthesizer between the extremes of Helen and the extremes of Wilcox?
2: Um, Are we talking, disagree. I
1: guess, about Charles and Helen being the extremes last week?
2: I, I don't disagree with the sentiment of what he said. I would disagree with the word synthesis because we, we specifically talked about how Forster is rejecting the Hegelian dialectic of the idea that there's thesis and in synthesis, in synthesis in which he said, the truth is not halfway between anything. The truth is about having proportion between the two, dipping into to both of them so i see les margaret morgan as a synthesizer as someone who keeps dipping into both of those she herself is a romantic however and still holds on to this romantic notion that she can improve henry through her love which
1: is a big part of chapter six there's all that's where we do get into her into her mindset where before she finds out about well i think before she finds out about the the earlier affair disappointed a 100 times she still hopes she loved him too clear a vision to fear his cloudiness and then she talks about how um she must remain herself for his sake um,
2: right so i don't get the sense that she is inside herself synthesizing the romantic and the pragmatic i think that I, she agree, is I agree really, with that okay so she's clearly staying on the side of the romantic and yet trying to love him anyway, making a choice to love him anyway, trying to see the valuable and good things of the other side. But she's never going to be that person Is she trying to
1: harmonize, or do you see harmonize and synthesize as the same thing for the sake of this conversation?
2: I don't know that it's necessarily the same thing. But usually when we talk about a character synthesizing two positions, you know, we would see some of the both traits in her. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't see her becoming that way, but I definitely see her trying to find whatever goodness is there and loving that goodness and appreciating that goodness
1: do have have we seen any change in wilcox yet do you think tim
0: i i, I no i
1: don't
0: think in, we I have. Guess,
1: in other words has she been successful at all in in her in her mission
0: no but this is a crisis i mean this isn't this is I don't think we read far enough to know whether or not the crisis of Mr. Wilcox's um, mistress, having a mistress might lead him somewhere, especially the way that Margaret is responding to it. We've only seen him kind of um, get a little bit farther into his bunker when Margaret seemingly forgives him, or at least says, you know, it's, it's that business has passed he kind of retreats into his bunker. But, Maybe Margaret's response is going to be an opportunity for him to grow up is not the right word. He's too grown up. Um, to see to see his wife, his fiance in a different way, and to, and to see the world in a different way. But I don't think by I don't think by chapter 30 we see any of that.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm, a part of me just really has a hard time holding out any hope for him to change yeah. because of her observations about that he's not, he's not giving her a confession and a repentance, right? Like he's trying to save some sense of himself and how he views yeah. himself. And it seems to be all the, – the whole, his whole speech seems to be artifice, that's, this is why I'm mad at her. Like she should have just kicked that boy in the teeth and been out. Like spinster or no, I can't bear artifice. But first, second, somebody to give me a speech like that, I've been helling on that train, baby. Like I'm out. <laughs> I don't, I don't care if you're trying to salvage your sense of self. Now is the time to lay it all out. Vulnerable, confess, repent, admit a wrongdoing. Don't, don't give a stupid speech.
1: So, you you is that you would make the case that she should she should be on her way
2: oh i'm so disappointed with her i'm so disappointed with her justification of it and um you know his action disappointed me not his disposition well honey a man's action is who he is i cannot separate those things i mean my friends who are close to me know that those moments come and this is exactly the angelina thing that gets told his soul has been revealed i cannot unsee what has been seen he we this is not my person boom
1: so I couldn't but isn't couldn't couldn't she be saying well that was 10 years ago he could you know her, her whole vision is that he is capable of change so if her perspective is that she, he is capable of change and that she can be an agent in that change then doesn't she have to believe that he was different than now or in their present time than he was 10 years earlier
2: well right i'm not saying it's an unforgivable act i'm saying his response to it is what i have seen not it's not that he did this thing that to me is like irrelevant but it's how do you respond i mean everybody has a checkered past i mean you know you're not going to be in love with a human being and not find out something disappointing about them like right you know realize that was a very unromantic thing for me to say but nonetheless (laughs) actually it's not the romantic thing is that i will love all of your warts and just love them as if they're my own but
1: um, because everyone who is medieval had just lots of gross warts is what you're saying (laughs) it's just i mean anybody who's watched monty python knows this
2: Yes. I mean, the true romantic position actually does not deny that the beloved has flaws. That is a gross misrepresentation of what romanticism is. But nonetheless, uh, just so to be clear, it is not that he had an indiscretion that I find problematic. It's his response to it, right? Like first, obviously his shame just presumes that the engagement is over, but he, so he doesn't even want to deal with it. That was very cowardly in my opinion. And then when she's like, no, it's done. I've forgiven you. And then he just gives her this speech that just feels like it's all about preserving his sense of self, preserving his upper hand in the relationship, right? Like he's going to have to be this guy that she respects or the whole thing's going to fall apart, which apparently to me, to him means he can't make himself vulnerable enough to say, yeah, I, that was a bad time. I really screwed up there. He doesn't even make a vow to her that he's not a man who would do that again. Should he marry her? G- you know, it's just, everything- I was lonely guys get lonely. You don't understand. Wow. <laughs>
0: Him. I'm a little bit more sympathetic with um, Margaret's response because my, my thought is if, how do I say this? If she, he has shown no habit or ability of being vulnerable and in a moment of crisis, that's perhaps the, the he has the least training the least preparation for the moment of, when the moment of crisis arrives for him to do the thing that he's not practiced his whole life. Now that might beg the question, like, well, what is Margaret doing with him in the first place? And I, that's a legitimate question, but I think that if Margaret expects him to be vulnerable, when he, when his past behavior, um, has rendered him in this uh, very, very precarious position by his own choosing. I think if she goes toe-to-toe and expects or hopes for vulnerability, I just don't see there's any way that she can get it. Now, then that just means that she is willing to leave. Because I think if she goes toe-to-toe and demands vulnerability, she's not going to get it. And Then she knows, okay, well, I'm just done with the relationship. We're not going to get married after all. if she's still hopeful and still wants to play the long game and thinks that she can preserve herself in the process which to me is the bigger question um I'm sympathetic with her move
2: I don't disagree with what Tim is saying like I, I think I think that Forrester is having the characters act in a way that is believable and natural and yes this is it would have definitely been out of character for Wilcox to suddenly have been vulnerable and open. My frustration with her is that she would ever get involved with a non-emotionally open man in the first place. That just, ugh. I'm just having a heart. I'm having, OK. So critics have criticized this book for this reason, right? And they have accused Forster of not being able to portray male-female love realistically. It is very difficult. And especially knowing who the character of Margaret is based on. I mean, Forrester knows how Virginia Woolf was. Like, it's so difficult for to me to imagine that Margaret would actually marry Mr. Wilcox. Well. I'm so disappointed in her but, that she wants to marry. I mean, I get that he's trying to make a point about the types, right? But man. But isn't that I like. I to slap her and say, get out of What are you doing? Go live in an artist compound and be happy. I'll never be happy with this guy. I'm unhappy with this guy. I'm not even married to him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it? Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about saying, well, the character is roughly based on Virginia Wolf. So it has to, she has to act in ways that the Virginia Wolf would like to. No, the no,
2: I don't I, okay. I know I definitely don't mean to suggest that. I'm just saying, and we all agree with this. Characters have to have an inner consistency. And so the only thing that I can Oh, so I guess I'm of two minds here. Well, three, if you count that one of my minds is she should get the heck out of Dodge. Okay, so if I want to justify this marriage, I either have to think that Margaret feels so intensely the social pressure of being a spinster, and I don't deny that's real. And so I do have a lot of sympathy for that. Like maybe she's just willing to overlook all of this because she so badly does not want to be a spinster. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that she really is doing her very best to make a go of it, right? Like, so it won't just be a nominal. Well, at least I have someone to marry me. Like, she really wants to feel love, and she wants to love him, and she wants to have a purpose in it. And she wants it to be a real marriage. So,
1: what's the other? We
0: mind? haven't gotten. We haven't the gotten other mind anything.
2: Is that Ian Forster is just using them as types to make a point?
1: Oh, go ahead, Tim.
0: I was just going to say, we haven't heard anything from Forrester that this is a motivation, that her fear of being a spinster is a motivation for sticking with the marriage. Maybe we'll, well hear that, some of that later. We, but did I, he,
2: we did hear it as a as a motivation for her hope that he was going to make an offer. That, that was very, very much in her mind.
1: At the beginning, but not since yeah. the... I no, not there. since then. Isn't it possible, though, that... I mean, I mean, is it possible that he's also saying that sometimes you can't help who you mysteriously fall in love with
2: is she in love with him I just always feel like she's trying to convince herself like especially in this section well this is not really how I would have wanted him to behave but okay I see that this is what it is yeah. I will accept it and no nope, or maybe the that's the point he's off.
1: making that 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 how often do we do that that we that 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 way too much of love quote-unquote love is convincing ourselves that we love someone and then what happens then what does it mean? Like that where that there's the longing for connection, and so you have to, you know, you maybe you you jump sooner than you should, or you jump into the wrong arms or something. I don't know exactly, but there's a but so okay. She also has this capacity for like intimacy and small things with him, that feels natural and real. Like the beginning of chapter twenty nine, for example, when she actually like he's eating his breakfast and she kneels down and she takes the newspaper from him and she like it says that she puts her face where the newspaper had been and like yeah. there's this there's this like there's a tenderness to that and intimacy that doesn't feel forced it feels natural it feels like it's meant um and i think in little ways her affection even if it's not perhaps true love so to speak you know from the, you know the princess bride versus true love um even if that's not there there is an affection that is leading to her longing to connect so to speak but one of the things that i'm having some um some questions about gets into both the narrator and how we understand helen's head so are you guys near chapter 29 or can you be quickly yes i'm already in chapter 9
2: 29
1: Okay, chapter nine is not helpful, but 29 is. 29 is. So Yes,
2: yeah, so let's not forget that when we talk about Helen, I would like to segue back to also how very disappointed I am when with Margaret did to the best. I'm just disappointed okay. with her in this section a lot. But go ahead, let's okay. let's talk about Helen.
1: Okay, well, we'll call um, Did I say Helen? I meant Margaret.
2: Oh, you did say Helen. I thought we were segueing. Okay, no, Margaret no, no. then.
1: Sorry, so in um, Margaret... Uh, with, with chapter 29 here you guys have been talking about um what's going on inside her head and we've talked a lot about how there's this narrator and one of the things that I've been trying to decipher that I don't think that Forrester makes clear and I suspect he's doing it on purpose is when we are in a character's head and when we are in the narrator's we're getting an opinion from the narrator oh, yeah. so there's this line here when they're talking where he says she's trying to be tender and like try to have a conversation with him, trying to get him to open up. And it says, he says, you're referring to last evening. I have released you from your engagement. I could find excuses, but I won't. No, I won't. A thousand times, no. I'm a bad lot and must be left at that. And then we get this little kind of, this little paragraph that's inserted. Expelled from his old fortress, Mr. Wilcox was building a new one. He could no longer appear respectable to her. So he defended himself instead in a lurid past. It was not true repentance. So there's a couple different ways of looking at this. One, I think, is this is Margaret thinking, or this is the narrator giving us a kind of omniscient narrator opinion that we're just supposed to take for granted. In either case, I wonder if we are supposed to just assume that this is completely trustworthy and that that we know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that he's not actually truly repenting. It tells us he's not. But earlier in the book, when he was this sort of like, faux nobleman or whatever you want to call it and he like you know did the equivalent of holding doors and stuff like that she sorts of appreciates it and then he seems like he's trying to fall on his own sword here in a way and but now it's viewed differently than it was earlier so that that inconsistency i'm wondering if it perhaps is is that we're supposed to not entirely sure how to feel about what he's actually saying does that make sense
2: it does make sense. I can tell you that I hadn't thought about it before you you said it. Um, I, I've been taking the narrator as trustworthy. I took that statement. But is that, as that a, the
1: narrator or is that Margaret?
2: I guess it, in my mind doesn't make that big a difference because I also trust Margaret's perception of reality.
1: Tim, what do you think? It
2: Feels true to Mr. Wilcox is. I mean, I'm, I already said that, right? That he's not repentant, and it's an it's artifice.
1: So so your argument was that you're just taking that from what he's saying that you believe is not a true repentance, not from the narrator or whoever this is saying it wasn't true repentance.
2: Oh, all of it together. Like just what he says felt that way. The narrator's comments feel that way. What Margaret's thinking feels that way. Like she's trying to save him from his own embarrassment, which is just absurd.
1: (laughs) So Tim, how do you feel about that narrator?
0: Well, I I didn't find it. It didn't cause me to wonder where the narrator was or if he was uh, trustworthy because I feel like the narrator kind of steps near. I don't think he's omniscient, but I think he is mobile and he gets intimate with certain characters at certain times. And I found him to be telling the truth. And I felt like he just stepped close to Mr. Wilcox in this moment and told us how he was on his, in his deeper self. He was kind of building a new fortress and yeah, I trusted it. I trust it. And I think he's been, I think like the narrator gets close to, got close to Mrs. Wilcox earlier in the book. The narrator is probably closest of all to Margaret, but at various points. I mean, even in chapter 30, he steps close to Tibby of all people. Not really close to Tibby. There's not much of Tibby to get close to. But, um, he at least, I think he kind of he moves, he's mobile.
1: Wilcox. What's that? Wilcox's mobile. No, no, no. The narrator. The narrator. Yeah, right. Um, but so then you both take this paragraph here. Y- either you don't separate them or you take this as the narrator as opposed to Margaret. I did. Did you, I did,
2: Angelina? So. No, I, I took it as the narrator's comment.
1: So I've been trying to figure out, is because sometimes it's there's characters trying to interpret one another, and sometimes the narrator is telling us what to think. And I'm trying to figure out if there's patterns that tell us which is which other than just intuition. Um, and this is one of those ones that it, because it comes in the middle of a conversation, it, in a traditional. So does it matter narrative. to you? if
2: Margaret's perception. Like, do you think it's a wrong perception? Hmm. Is not
1: that
2: okay. the bigger question?
1: If, if it's Margaret. Um, well, it's a, I think it, it changes how we can think about the story because if the narrator is telling us this, then. You know, that's the story telling us this is exactly, this, this is the reality, this is how we're supposed to be thinking. If it's Margaret, even if I trust her, it doesn't inherently mean that, she's telling, that she knows exactly what she's talking about. So it'd leave some gray area open. Um, David, I wonder if it's a little bit, um, maybe
0: jarring is overstating your sense of things, but I, I wonder if it's a little bit, um, if you were alerted to this paragraph because the close of chapter 28 the narrator is so close to Margaret. I mean, the last two paragraphs, pity was at the bottom of her actions all through this crisis. Yeah, and
1: I want to talk about um, that man.
0: And then, here was the core of the question, Henry must be forgiven and made better by love, nothing else mattered. That's clearly the narrator is sitting close to Margaret on this. And then we enter the drawing room the next morning, and it doesn't feel to me like the narrator is side-by-side side with Margaret anymore. As a matter of fact, Margaret kind of seems behind the narrator. He's a little bit closer to Mr. Wilcox, or at least reporting on Mr. Wilcox's interior and exterior state. And I wonder if that was a little bit jarring the transition to going from Margaret to distantly with, with Mr. Wilcox.
1: That's possible. <laughs> um,
2: the I don't hear real conviction is, there. But the, But you're right that the narrator is doing weird stuff. It's not. It's not straight up third person omniscient. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. So because like, he
2: uses the second person pronoun when men like us. It mm-hmm. is for mm-hmm. our. But right. he's it's not a female narrator. This is just he's 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 given us Margaret's inner life through the second person pronoun. That's weird. That's well, a weird. I don't. You don't see that a lot.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's totally non traditional in terms of how the narrators work. Even that pity line from the previous. You know, it's on the opposite page for me, so it's kind of staring me in the face. But pity was at the bottom of her actions all through this crisis, end of 28. That's what Tim just read. Then the next sentence is, so you feel like, okay, that is, like, this is the narrator telling us what's in her head. That's not Margaret thinking. But then the next paragraph, here was the core of the question, Henry must be forgiven. That is her thinking. So Yes, but it's
2: also her thinking in the paragraph you you just read, because two sentences after the pity line is, when men like us, it is for our better quality. So he's obviously in her head.
1: And so is so when it's saying pity if one may generalize is at the bottom of a of woman is that her thinking this or is this the narrator telling us this?
2: I have no idea. He just the, seems to like jump back and forth.
1: It, there's like a slipperiness to it that that makes. There's it difficult definitely to a know, slipperiness. To know exactly what we're supposed to think of how characters are feeling, and so it makes me that's you know that's where I that's where it, this feels to be like there's some consistency there's consistency in the inconsistency if that makes sense
2: no it does make sense and i think you brought up a good point i guess for me i'm wondering i think i also trust margaret's perception of the world so i'm not sure how much it changes what i think of that scene but i do think what you're saying is legitimate who exactly is making the comment that he's unrepentant i think that's a legitimate question i don't the answer is i don't know
1: right it's not
2: mr
1: wilcox yeah you know so so one thing you'll get like if you look at just up to 29 for example you'll get she comes in then it gives a straight narration this is the narrator telling us what she does right um and then it gets more then it gives us dialogue and then it gives us this bit that's not dialogue but it seems to be getting inside her head um and hold on one second can you tap that microphone all right we have a special guest joining us here for a second what um it's it's our favorite banter partner
2: you know Uh, i heard rumors about this and i was hoping they were just gonna blow over
1: oh you stopped who is this
2: i did i heard rumors it's mr Matthew bianco
3: what up close read crew making it how's it going i'm not
2: listening because i feel like that was bantery
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wait how I, me up how you. are you, something
2: Matt? something real to
1: say, Matt. Oh, I'm fine. What do you think of the Hegelian dialectic?
3: <laughs> That's a much better question. That's the kind of question I like to entertain. Not how did you sleep last he, night or what's
2: from breakfast. He wants to walk into the room answering that question.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, what are you here for? Get to the point. Okay, good. Let's get to
3: the point. I am here very late, but I am here to say thank you. To the close reads crew and the Joke coast readers, I don't know how you guys pronounce that one, but and th- those folks that participated in and uh, contributed to my birthday gift, which I received as a pleasant surprise on my birthday in Houston at a workshop. Close Aww, up, uh, wow! My gift, and I don't know how you guys figured out that I love Plato so much, that I love the Symposium in particular, and to get me a folio edition of Plato's Symposium. You guys are beautiful. I love all of you. I'm I'm talking that's to amazing. listeners. Yeah, we Angelina know. And you can't Taylor even make Taylor. eye contact with me right I now. I did not
2: <laughs> contribute to any of that gift, so that's okay. I'm not accepting any of your thanks. <laughs> Excellent. In fact, and I'm if posting they on the Facebook wouldn't. page right now, why are Close Read fans giving something to Matt Bianco? He's not on Close Reads. <laughs> but just keep talking. That's,
3: when I received it, I actually said the words, I didn't even know you guys liked me. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: of course, somebody was recording it on video, right? Yeah. So, Yeah, that's the thing that's like, It's one thing to receive a gift. It's another for someone to record you receiving a gift, Mm -hmm. your immediate response, and then sending it out to thousands of people on the internet.
3: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Cell phones. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But maybe you guys are just heaping heaping hot coals on your enemy. I don't know
1: what that was. Yeah. yeah it might have been
2: i'm pretty sure that the fine print was by accepting this gift from Close Reads fans i agree to like banter i'm pretty <laughs> sure <laughs> I think, you know? yeah i saw, I saw that on there i also <laughs> I saw saw
1: that. I like, <laughs>
2: fine print and then you're like i will accept the gift i will <laughs> whatever
1: matt have you ever read howard's end just to avoid any more banter no it, no i haven't <laughs> but i
3: assume that howard is a A snake and then we're looking at his end to see what's there is there a rattle there or i don't know you are um
1: he's
2: in a cave but he can only see shadows
1: ah (laughs) i'm trying to figure out there's a way to connect what he just said to some sort of deeper meaning within the book because he may have just unlocked something i don't think so but (laughs) and now you know why i'm not on those reads (laughs) (laughs) because he keeps wanting to talk about books he's never read
2: Actually qualifies you, I think. <laughs> yeah, you could
3: probably qualified. get a job
2: as a literature professor somewhere with that. With that,
3: yeah, true. <laughs> On that note, also will... writing Wikipedia pages. yeah There you go. All right? On that note, I will let you guys return to your your what I assume is a most excellent discussion of a book that I've never read. But just one more time, thank you all for for the gift. It was beautiful. It was wonderful, and it was a was an amazing surprise and it made a happy birthday when i was on the road traveling away from my family so thank you very much Oh,
2: that is so sweet i'm glad you had that happen matt happy birthday
3: happy birthday matt it was pretty great thanks guys turning 50 is not that bad is it uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> My,
2: you look so good for 65 i mean wow
1: <laughs> and he's gone um, now you can tell the truth. Um, okay, so <laughs>
2: yeah, he does look like he's pushing sixty-five. I was only thirty-nine.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, so it's just interesting. We get we get the narrative jumping around, and and the, there is I think there's a purposeful disorientation about it go, that he's trying to trying to create here, um, and I'm not entirely sure exactly why or what the purpose of it is. We may find out. It may just be that it creates you know distance and tension, and it, it does that whole thing where. It doesn't allow us to actually really get to know anybody because we're not really sure who we're hearing from like i if i didn't know if 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 you if i was talking to tim and i was talking to angelina but i didn't know which like it was did one of those weird voiceover things which just makes everybody sound like the same then i wouldn't actually know who i'm getting to know right um that's an extreme example but maybe that's what's going on here um or maybe we're i'm just overthinking it
2: that's, that's you know awesome. a few people on the on the Facebook page have have raised this point and I don't know if this is going to take us in a direction we don't want to go but I'll I'll just throw it out there and we can do with whatever with it but uh, a few people have pointed out that it's interesting that in a book that keeps talking about only connect he he's creating all this distance for us like w- we're having trouble connecting with the character so in what sense are we supposed to only connect I mean I have a theory so, about Go what ahead. He means, but what's I thought your, that was a good question What's your well, I thing I don't I I I think it's about finding the essential harmony, this very medieval idea, right? So seeing how everything connects to everything else rather than connecting with individual people. I don't think he means necessarily, he wouldn't be against that per se, but I don't think when he says only connect, that he's talking about like, you know, I feel a connection to you, that kind of thing. I think he's talking about something much, much greater.
1: I think that's probably true. And yet at the same time, so for example, with you, it seems like you do, despite knowing her to a limited degree, you do seem to have a connection with Margaret. And you do seem to have specific feelings about Wilcox. Despite the fact that we don't know them very well, we kind of inherently gravitate or anti-gravitate from from or towards or from characters almost without meaning to or consciously making a decision to. Right?
2: I kind of remember it's been a super long time but this movie came out in 92 and I've seen it once, but, uh, I feel like in the movie, they gave a lot more attention to the, to the subplots. And so I was surprised in reading the book, how little Helen is actually in the book. Cause I started to remember those being two love stories kind of counterpointing each other. Is that right? Have y'all seen the movie?
0: It's been so long. Yeah. I do not remember it.
1: I'm just <laughs> I'm gonna... surprised
2: that she's hardly in the book at all.
1: Yeah. I'm, and I'm waiting I finished it this time to, to re-watch no, i it. did
2: hear it was on netflix but i haven't yeah. i'm not gonna watch it till i'm done
1: i want to watch the bbc series with Haley atwell too that, and
2: where uh, is that is that on netflix or amazon uh, i or?
1: think it just aired in england so like you could probably find it on the internet somewhere i, th- I think stars or showtime or someone is going to bring it to the u.s this sometime during the course of this oh reading. so this is
2: like brand new
1: <laughs> yeah it came yeah it aired in like november december in in england
2: is that why we chose this book because it was no, kind of hot no we chose wendell berry of course being the trendsetter that he was he was on trend i was like guys
1: yeah well he was talking about capitalized
2: it on this internet popularity
1: he was talking about it and it was just so many of the themes were so consistent with other stuff we've talked about in jaybro crow and in *Brideshead* and in you know it does
2: a, have a Brideshead feel to me do y'all feel that too like the whole the Tibby at Oxford scene like couldn't that have just been a scene in, in Brideshead
0: during the early drunk years
1: yes
2: right right
1: yeah well because also tibby's just, young uh, the English you know countryside house the the sort of influence it has over the story the way it kind of haunts haunts everything is is consistent can we
2: just that. all agree that we don't like Tibby <laughs>
1: Oh,
0: Tibby. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> is there you, guys, any- <laughs> you guys, Mr. Wilcox had an affair. Mr. Wilcox had a mistress.
2: Yes. Like,
0: this is, albeit we don't get that much from Margaret's interstate, we don't get that much about her interstate, but, like, this is a moment. This is a huge moment. Everything is now, like, in motion for, um every single character that we've met thus far.
2: Oh, right. All only connect, right? Everybody, the storylines are all connecting now. I and really what am- is going
0: to happen now with with the Basts? What is it? What is going to happen with Helen's relationship with Margaret? Is Tibby going to wake up and get involved in some way? What's going to happen with Mr. Wilcox and Margaret? I mean, yeah, this is a, this is a huge event. It sounds like. Every time I think that something is going to happen in the book I've been proven dreadfully yeah, I was wrong. Just it's just like that. He's directing
2: us so clearly there that obviously nothing's going to happen.
0: <laughs> what I want to know is what's going to happen or what's going to happen with Margaret and Mr. Wilcox and I also want to know what's going to happen like is Helen going to is this going to be a rupture between her and Margaret?
2: I suspect we have seen the last of this as an issue between Henry and Margaret. I I I would be very surprised if we haven't just because they got to this point where it was like, this is not, this is not our concern anymore. And Henry's like, this is man's business. I just want to make sure I'm not blackmailed. And then it just, as soon as he said, I just want to make sure I'm not blackmailed. It, it becomes a business question, right? It's not even a moral issue anymore. a relationship issue. This is strictly pragmatic. We've got to handle this in a way that's not like going to
1: transactional thing.
2: It, very transactional. But see, I really thought that Helen's speech, and I know a lot of people are not loving Helen, but Helen's speech about this was dead on. And and it, in my master's work, the the theme of the fallen woman in literature, that was my area of specialty. So, so Helen's speech absolutely was 100% true when she said, look, I'm not going to fault Mrs. Bass because I know how women get in those situations and I know what happens to them afterwards. And the truth is that Mr. Wilcox ruined her and then abandoned her. So he gets to go on and have this successful life and put this behind her. She's ruined. Are you talking about made...
1: 30? Her, her comments in 30?
2: Yes. And then, and then she goes on to say, so she's telling this to Tibby, and then she goes on to say, and then they end up, well, I would, well, back in the day, they would end up prostitutes once they were ruined. That was their only option. Um, and so then she so she says either she's going to be on, on the state dole and in poverty and living off the state or she's a prostitute. And then she said, and then Mr. Wilcox is going to give speeches about what do we do with these destitute yeah. people dr- sucking the, you know, the, the state dry. And that was a brilliant speech. And it's part of my frustration with Wilcox's just dismissal of the whole thing. Well, it was just an indiscretion. No, you ruined a woman you cheated on your wife who you refuse to mention or to talk about any of the larger implications of what this means as you as a husband and a human being. He's very dismissive of it. He's dismissive of her. Um. So, so Mrs. Bast, Jackie, and then he has ruined her. And this is why I'm so angry with Margaret that she just writes him that dismissive letter. There's no help here. She's, and she's taking it upon herself to protect Wilcox, but what about the consequences of this action I mean, this is real he did ruin this woman and now has ruined leonard
1: so you took that her leonard her 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 leonard to write her her letter to leonard uh was protecting wilcox yes i didn't read that that way at all that's interesting tim how did you take that I took it the way that Angelina took it.
2: Well, how else could it be? I thought she doesn't want it, this guy around because she doesn't want Wilcox to be reminded of this woman's existence.
1: No, I took it that she doesn't want to be reminded of this existence. Like that she wants ah, to protect herself, and that she's really? like it's an it's more of an I don't know that it's it's an anger thing, but she uh, that she doesn't want to have to have to try to fix him with that hanging over her. That uh, that she was thinking more of herself than she was of Henry. Interesting. I'll have to go back and read it and see
0: i see i i could see i see that as a possibility for margaret and i'm kind of hoping that's what ends up happening but i didn't read the letter as evidence of that i don't have any evidence of that i'm just hoping have, that's what happens i'd
2: have to go back and read it i guess i'm feeling like she's so stoic about the whole thing that i would be surprised that if it was her own motivation's Like she seems very much in damage control. I'm just going to tell Henry, don't worry about this. I can handle this like a man. Don't treat me like I can't handle this like a man, you know, and I'm going to write. And she doesn't even tell him about the letters and which I guess could support your case too, but
1: well, she's just been so. I'll read
2: it and see if I was wrong.
1: For so long, she's been so capable of taking care of herself and it feels like she went into take care of herself mode. And then she sort of takes charge of like confronting Henry about it. It's, you know, she's not, she doesn't seem like she's going out of her way to be like deferential to him and like protective of him and like go into like, you know, the spousal mode or protective mode or mama bear mode, whatever, whatever you want to say. She is being proactive and she's directing the action. And that, no, feels, that is true. That feels like her, you know, finding a house for her going, you know,
2: Okay. permitting okay, no. the
1: agency of her own life. That, that's how I, can, I read it. I can buy that. It. I also I can may buy have that. been intuiting it. No,
2: it it could be it could be that we're both right. It could be less that she thought she was protecting Henry, and more that she's protecting the marriage. Like, does that make sense? The marriage is threatened because the last word is Henry's, like, so yeah, I, I release your obligations, and so now she's taking all this action to make sure.
1: Yeah. No, the I. I is not- yeah, I could, I could, I'd be okay with putting it that way, and I, I mean, I'd be okay with putting it the other way you said too, but yeah. Um,
2: th- I mean, I don't know that it's. Uh, I, those those three things might be so like conflagrated in her own mind you know hard to say but i agree she goes into action she she's she dismisses the threat without consulting him and with no regard to what his actual obligation to these people is he has doubly ruined them
1: she definitely goes into like she says in writing these letters she's being practical she's she's stripping it feels like she's stripping the emotion out of it i feel like that's what he's telling us in writing this margaret felt that she was being practical now and maybe that's how she felt but she wasn't actually being it's not actually being true it's not true that she was being that way
2: i think helen was completely right to be furious over that and i don't know what's going to happen when she finds out or if she finds out that it was margaret on her own who dismissed him she she presumes it's from wilcox Because she can't imagine her sister would do that. She also can't imagine that Margaret knows about what happened and is still with him. So that was very interesting too. To be so relieved, and he's like, "Oh, you already know." Phew. (laughs) One less unpleasant thing I have to think about. It's going to be
0: very interesting. This, I mean, we've we really don't know or maybe I'm just hoping we don't know what Margaret thinks in her heart of hearts about all this. It seems like damage control first. And there may be, if she's playing the long game, there may be a later conversation about this. Sure. She says there's not going to be a conversation. And I think by that she meant I'm not going to hold this over you. This is not going to end the marriage. We're still going to go forward. I don't know. I can't, I can't see Margaret just, Forgetting about this, just brushing this under the rug. I don't think there's any way that that can
1: happen. Well, I, I agree with that, and I certainly don't think that Forrester, as a storyteller, is going to is going to drop it. The effects of it on the characters. So like, much
0: not- references, so many references to economics and to classes, and this is like this is a moment where the classes are in conflict with each other, where the economic differences between the Wilcoxes and the Bast are brought to the forefront it seems like it's a really prime moment for forster to follow through to just follow through on something that he has set up we'll see if it happens
2: Hmm. well the bass are turned out of their home at the end of 30 so something is happening and helen has i I loved that line at the end of the 30 by the way like i Everything about Helen is so hilarious to me. I I love the comments he makes on her. So so Helen makes the melodramatic, super romantic, over-the-top gesture of giving them half her fortune, right? Because she feels so responsible. She does it. They refuse it. But Mm -hmm. now she's cashed out all the stocks that we had been explained to us at the beginning of the book, right? The safe English stocks that weren't making her any money. So then she puts it back into something, and the end of the chapter says, and then ended up being richer than she was before. Yeah. she's not this business person but she ends up (laughs) being just fine because of the crazy stuff she does i thought that was great
1: you know the the, there's an irony i feel like to helen's character and that some of these some of these chapters i think make her more like a likable and a richer character because as you said there is like this there's this manicness to her um, and there's this chaoticness this chaos to the way she, she seems to choose what to do um, or the way she chooses to speak but then in these chapters it seems like a maturity level and, and like a degree of wisdom pops up that makes her more likable um, which which then also t- which then even makes or and wise makes her seem wiser than maybe other characters like like she's knows more what's up but then that happens at the end of that and it drops another layer of irony into it <laughs> i don't know if that makes sense yeah yeah so it seems like she's she's developed like she's has a level of maturity or wisdom that that surprises us but then she still accidentally gets rich by you know making this she's trying to help somebody (laughs) and it all just works out for like there's no amount of wisdom or like prediction or economic know-how or or smarts got her that money she was just she just in she just kind of like emotionally try to help someone and then it all ended up working out great for her in the end but not for leonard
0: yeah right
1: yet i still not yet but there's something i think leonard's gonna win the lottery
2: helen is getting a lot of heat on the uh on the facebook page and and I, i don't believe in any way that helen is being held up to us as an ideal i think margaret is so i you know i don't think forrester means us to think helen is a guide for life but there's so much about Helen's character that is good and noble and true. I mean, she's willing to ruin herself for these people she doesn't really know because mm-hmm. she thinks that the universe has just been unfair to them. And this is, mm-hmm. this is not right. And if I can, if I can be the enactor of justice, then I will. And, and Tibby's horrified, but she... And it's not. It's such. A, it's a contrast, of course, to how pragmatic Margaret is being, but she's not thinking about her best interests or her future. She just sees two people in trouble And I,
1: Tim, tell me if you agree with this. I I gather Angelina doesn't. Do you think, though, that Helen is doing all those things because she's truly like pure of heart and really trying to help them?
2: There's some real goodness there.
1: Or is she doing them because she has this ideal of what proper behavior like? like for herself basically is the way i would put it
2: maybe i I don't see her that way because she gives them the money and then she leaves like i just i feel like if she was that character she'd be more of a meddler she'd be she'd be more intimately involved with what they're going to do with the money and and almost mothering them
1: tim
0: i think she's both i think she's good hearted and i think she's um has this kind of romantic purview of the world that in in her cases, I think it's kind of a little bit naive. It's it's this it's this like rush in where angels fear to tread, and try to like accomplish this extraordinarily. To
2: quote extraordinarily... another Forster
0: novel, <laughs> and, and it's just I remember my dad telling me. My dad did a lot of work with Wycliffe, a missions organization, and he told me about this this you know big megachurch pastor that was kind of rushing into Africa and he was making these claims about, you know, they're going to wipe out poverty within, you know, 20 years, something like that. My dad was just like, it's just so, I think it sounded to him like how Helen sounds to me, like, of course, everyone wants to knock out poverty in Africa in 20 years. But, um, the problems between the Bass and the Wilcox have been going on for centuries and centuries and centuries, and to just rush in and throw money at the situation is probably not the solution. So I think it's just kind of – I think it's uh, – Helen has an earnest heart. She wants to do the right thing, and she needs a good accountant is what she needs, and she needs, you know, like – She does a lot more things than just – she needs a lot more things than just throwing money at the situation and thinking that absolves her sister and Mister Wilcox and makes the Bass
1: life better. Well, um, this is going to seem abrupt, but we should go to final thoughts, <laughs> um, Tim. It doesn't seem
0: abrupt. This is a big. This is like to me. It's like. Um, we're we're in a holding pattern no we're not in a holding pattern it seems like what's going to happen from the fallout of the um let's call it an affair is going to be a big turning point in many people's lives again presuming that Forster doesn't just jump forward a year and a half which he might do
2: yeah I was wondering the same thing It was the next section going to start with. And after the wedding, Margaret... Yeah,
0: exactly. And then World War II came to...
2: Exactly. The 60s were revolutionary.
1: (laughs) For 23 years, they lived happily, had four children, and Margaret...
2: (laughs) Until that youngest grandchild got into the psychedelics. But, you know, (laughs) it's just... But you're right, like we're at, I mean, honestly, what else can we say? He has created a knot at the end of this section, and now there's a fallout, and the Basts are homeless, and Helen has left the country, and Margaret may or may not get married, we presume is going to get married, but you know, Mm -hmm. there's a, nothing's really clear how any of this is going to play out or resolve, is Helen going to come back, is their relationship going to be threatened? Both Helen and Margaret are trying so hard to value their relationship and not let, this marriage come between, right. which is really great
1: hmm. <clears throat> well i guess we'll find out how our soap opera ends soap next time nope not next time a couple of times. i was thinking how fine line it is between a soap opera and a story like this because like this this, this storyline could basically just be the storyline on a soap opera um but it's better than that that's my final thought yeah. It's better than a soap opera um here i'm gonna
2: please if charlotte bronte can have a crazy woman hide in the attic and that's not a soap opera
1: (laughs) fair point (laughs) it's a very fine line so um it's you know what the fine line is it's called skill um what's the one i want to do it's called
0: the difference between season three of downton abbey and season four
1: probably (laughs) yeah yeah don't get me started you know
2: so, I was just thinking that. Don't get even started on that.
1: <laughs> okay, so Angelina, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw you off a little bit. All right, for next week we're gonna do chapters thirty one through thirty six. So we're gonna do six what? Times, because chapter thirty six is two pages. So, uh, wait, so we're not counting by
2: fives anymore. David, I've been practicing. I only have five fingers on this hand. Wait, I'm writing this down. Where are we now? What are we doing? We're What's do 31, happening?
1: 31, 32, 33, 34, 35 through 36, just in case you don't know how 31 through 36 works.
2: We know that I don't. Listen, <laughs> close readers, I know that some of you are super talented with color coded spreadsheets. In the future, if you would like to make me a beautiful color coded spreadsheet of my readings and send it to me, I would be so grateful of that. I could just check them off and be. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know that's going to happen now. Um, and then okay. that will give us... My daughter stole all my Post-it post-
2: notes off of my desk. I'm, where, do I, where do I write this? I'm going to write it on the bookmark. So
1: so that will give us two more episodes, and then we'll do the Q&A. On, on and
0: are we going to watch the movie? Is that part of the plan?
1: Um, yeah, we can either watch the movie, we could watch that show, we could watch both, we could record some bonus episodes for the patreon people for for there
2: that'd be fun
1: about the the movies yeah um we'll figure that out as we go but so that's 31 through 36 for next time and then we'll read the next section after that will be the last 50 pages or so of the book at least in my book um okay so two more episodes all right uh i guess Gosh, that's we just it
2: flew right through this and then true grit yay
1: true grit angelina tim do you have any final final thoughts Same. no final thoughts for me david all right tim in 20 seconds how's the play going wait you start this weekend next week
0: we open next we open a week from tomorrow so the 23rd of february it's hey. going the actual rehearsals are they're going terrifically but, you know, I'm, like, producer and director and writer. And the producer now it's like, there are different parts of me that worry at different times. The director's been worried for a while. Now the director feels pretty good. Now the producer is worried. Like, are we going to sell tickets to this thing or not? We'll find out.
2: So bourgeoisie. About- Angelina,
1: you, you have 30 <laughs> seconds to finish your classes.
2: Oh yes, registration opened, and uh, that's going well. So yeah, head on over to angelinastanford.com if you're interested in what I'm teaching this year. I've got four classes that I'm offering as year-long classes, Uh, and of course I'll be continuing to do the short-term classes through the Cersei Institute. But if you're interested in uh, ancient literature or medieval literature for high school, you can check those classes out. And I'm offering two different sections of my wildly popular middle school class that has surprised everyone, including me. So that's good books and introduction to the great books and you can find out about all of those at angelina but they within hours all the classes were halfway filled like within three hours so i would uh, not hesitate if you're thinking about that
1: all right great all right well now you've pitched all your nonsense. We're going to get out of here. For Angelina Stanford <laughs> or Tim McIntosh. Feel like a money
2: changer in the temple. Please give me your money and your child. It's not yep. weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, if you want to learn more about the Honors, Con- honors College at Belmont Abbey, head over to www.bac.edu slash honors. For Angelina Stanford and for Tim McIntosh and for all of us here at Cersei, I'm David Kern saying farewell here on Close Reads. Thanks for listening. Happy reading. We'll talk to you next time.